On today's episode of Recur Now, we are working from home with remote work expert Marie Prokopetz. And we're learning how to grow internationally with Harrison Rose, co-founder of Paddle. And finally, we stand tall at the podium. One of the fastest growing SaaS companies adding payment technology to its service to amp up RevOps for itself and its user base. All this and more today on Recur Now. From ProfitWells Boston HQ, it is Wednesday, March 4th. I'm Abby Sullivan. I'm James Herrick. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. Up first, your news. Podium, a Utah-based SaaS company focused on small business customer interactions, added payments technology to its product suite this week, ultimately allowing its users, the companies leveraging its software, to collect payments from their customers. This gives Podium users the ability to charge buyers for their goods and services in a way that's integrated into the rest of the software company's service. Podium's platform works in conjunction with Stripe's processing tech to be used with the kinds of businesses Podium works with, namely businesses that operate from a physical location. And according to Crunchbase, Podium is one of SaaS's fastest growing companies as they've reached $60 million in ARR in 2017 and held sight of $100 million in ARR for 2019. This growth is insane, and that's all before Podium's decision to add payments to open up new revenue that users would never have had prior. For Podium, and in turn its users, this is big. You know what we always say, growth in SaaS doesn't come from acquisition, it comes from existing customers. As they grow, you grow. As you grow, they grow. Expansion revenue is the lifeblood of a successful subscription business, particularly when it comes to looking at growth. As companies improve, more of their revenue comes in through the expansion of current customers. The naive view of this, though, will be that the observation is obvious. Companies that are larger have more customers to expand. Correlation does not equal causation. Podium clearly knows that SaaS is about value, and that value needs to constantly expand. This is why expansion revenue works so well, and why the bigger you get, the more important it becomes. Acquisition naturally dries up, but if you continue to give great value to your existing customers and they continue to grow, then you take part in the growth of every single one. We have plenty of resources on expansion revenue, particularly on how much of your revenue should come from it. I will link to those in your subscriber newsletter if you're interested in reading on. Now, Abby talks with Paddle's co-founder, Harrison Rose, on international expansion for your business. The team over at Paddle, the subscription billing system for scaling SaaS, is no stranger to international expansion because they know when you're selling globally, you can hyper-localize your language, your currencies, your opportunities, and there are notable stats behind the effectiveness of expanding to new geographies. So I sat down with Harrison Rose, co-founder of Paddle, to chat through the nuances of international expansion, specifically pointing to Paddle's international expansion guide devoted to this. I will link to access that in your subscriber newsletter. First up, thanks for hanging with us today, Harrison. Could you you first up give us a quick rundown of what the paddle crew are experts in so we take on all the operational burden um, of billing so that SaaS companies don't have to and we handle everything from uh, checkout fraud payments indemnify them against tax liabilities all of these things that, that are burdensome and you have to do ar- around your billing so that software companies can focus on their products they can sell where they want however they want to, to whoever they want without having to constantly build and iterate on this kind of billing infrastructure that becomes a product within within their own company to, to some extent. Um, and they can focus on, on the things that matter. Why is international expansion something your team is focused on specifically right now? So we facilitate um, software companies go- going international. Um, all of our sellers are international. Um, all the sellers using Paddle are, are international. 
Um, I think when you start selling software, you have this really maybe naive view that because there's no physicality or logistics, you can kind of be this international player from day one, all these barriers are knocked, knocked down and you're going to take over the world. When in reality, selling internationally is getting increasingly complex and more difficult from a compliance and operational perspective. Um, and also can be done well or, or poorly. You guys do a great job of talking about things like a true localization to improve performance in certain regions. And, and we ensure people are able to, to sell in, in those currencies in a compliant way from day one without them having to bother setting up entities and bank accounts and merchant accounts in all these different regions, for example. So we literally facilitate people to be able to sell internationally from day one without having to build up that core infrastructure themselves so that they can have the widest possible market um, and, and be as successful as, as they can be. And you mentioned that there are challenges to this. What are those challenges to actually implementing this type of expansion? A lot of this depends on whether you're kind of like a product-led company or a kind of going the enterprise route, because I think a lot of the challenges that you have would differ um, depending on which of those approaches you take. In the end, we see the biggest companies normally do both of those things concurrently, um, but, but those challenges will differ. I think for a lot of people to keep it high level and, and how these things would manifest themselves will be different depending on your go-to-market motion. It's things like localization of both price, language, supporting things like currencies and payment methods, and ensuring you're compliant in terms of taxes. I think the thing that catches people out is they see international as a set of new markets that they can go and succeed in. And they think a lot about how they can build a product and get product market fit in that region but maybe don't consider enough the operational consequences of them doing so. Do you think that there are companies that this might not be a fit for, or do you encourage all companies go international at some point? That's a great question. So I think if you're a kind of product-led company with your self-serve checkout, we see a lot of folks who, who do that say that they're not focusing on international and they're focusing on their homogenous market. Maybe that's the US to begin with, and international is something that's going to come later. Now, the thing that we tell those folks is whether you, you think you're an international company or not, you, you are. Like you have customers hitting your website from all over the world. They're probably signing up on their own and they're using your product. You might not be optimizing for that right now, but, but you have those customers. We will link to some of our own resources on localization and geographical pricing in your subscriber newsletter. And now Grace on remote work. Marie Prokopetz over at FYI can attest, remote work is a challenge. Although her journey of going 100% remote was a struggle, she says now it's her superpower. And amid the uptick in coronavirus cases globally, the idea of remote work is now top of mind for many. As coronavirus spreads, the CDC urges sick workers to stay home. But what if you don't get paid sick leave? That's where working remotely can save a lot of folks. And the virus could actually force the work from home movement and prove its efficiency. Of course, there have been everlasting conflicting opinions on the matter. But despite any health issues, remote work's popularity has grown immensely over the years. According to a study conducted by Upwork, 69% of younger gen managers have team members who are allowed to work remotely. And among those that approve 
remote work options. 74% reported having team members who spend a significant portion of their time conducting their jobs remotely. FYI, the document navigation platform surveyed 486 people about remote work and learned that people absolutely love it. Marie then compiled a guide on how to stop struggling with it based on hundreds of tips and survey responses from remote workers because she knows there's no one-size-fits-all formula. For people with different work styles, different times at which they work, varying locations, and of course, time zones. The FYI crew also pulled together a list of hundreds of tips on working remotely and has a growing list of the best remote work resources on the web, so we really have no excuse not to succeed. To further explore the power of remote, we have a ProfitWell report that looks at 3,000 subscription and SaaS companies, resulting in the type of study we know we may lose friends over. We'll show that up next. We also have an episode of our show Trade-Offs to answer, does remote work slow company growth? We'll link to that in your subscriber newsletter as well. And that's it for your March 4th subscription news. Up next, a bit more data behind remote work. The question is, are remote teams actually growing slower than their co-located counterparts? Well, we have the data to break it down for you. This is the type of study that we are going to lose friends over, even though there is an incredible amount of nuance. Remote company cultures have become more akin to a religion than a growth strategy with amazing people that we respect so, so much, like Nick Francis from Help Scout, Wade Foster from Zapier, and DHH from Basecamp. Yet, what does the data tell us about remote teams? To explore the power or lack thereof of remote, we looked at just over 3,000 subscription companies, and here's what we found. In the early stages, remote companies are growing at a much slower rate than those companies where everyone is co-located. You're seeing here a blend of a lot of different types of companies that are doing anywhere from 1 to 10 million in annual revenue. Note that no matter the ARPU, which is a charitable proxy for different types of teams, remote teams have growth rates that are roughly 20 to 30% lower than co-located teams. What's fascinating though, is that as companies get larger, this growth differential starts to diminish. When we look at a similar split of companies, but now looking at those doing 10 to 75 million, you'll notice that the difference has essentially halved to remote teams growing 10 to 15% less than co-located teams. Now, you're obviously seeing some survivor bias with this data, but when you think about it, this trend stands to reason. By 10 million, you probably have figured out your main channels and definitely product market fit, so remote is less of an issue. That's not to say that figuring out product market fit and your channel requires you to be in the same room with one another, but it's likely easier. When we look at companies doing more than 75 million, this growth differential essentially disappears, although the data is fairly sparse. That being said, most companies when you get to this level have evolved to a point where they're remote anyways, right? With multiple offices, a contingent of folks who work from home, and obviously a lot of different types of team members. On the other hand, we do see companies bring people back to the mothership when times get tough, like Yahoo and Reddit to name a couple. So should we say screw remote teams? Not exactly, right? There are a few big pieces to keep in mind here. For one, as stated previously, all companies go remote or multi-office at some point anyway. So it's not an argument of either or, it's more of an argument of when. Further, a lot more research needs to be done here because the big question is why we're seeing this data. Is it because co-located teams handle ambiguity better? Is it because of the technological connection problem that will diminish over time, making this trend reverse? There are a lot of unanswered questions here. Finally though, this also assumes growth is what you're optimizing for, which I know sounds a little preposterous to question, but 
Growth can have a cost on team membership happiness and health. You also may not care about growth above everything else, which a lot of folks in the remote camp have stated is not what they're all about. Ultimately, there's an element of choice here, and more research is needed. And finally, a teaser for another Recur Studios show, Tradeoffs. The show for product people with our founder, Patrick Campbell, and SaaS master, Heaton Shaw. Profit Well and Product Habits present Tradeoffs, where SaaS founders Patrick Campbell and Heaton Shaw join pricing and product forces to uncover the biggest trade-offs of industry players with data, with knowledge. ProductTradeoffs.com. If you go to ProductTradeoffs.com, all of the resources as well as subscribing to these episodes, so you get them in whatever medium you choose. And by the way, share this with your friends. And that's it for your March 4th episode of Recur Now. If you are not already on the list to receive daily episodes, sign up at recurnow.com. This has been a Recur Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more like it at profitwell.com forward slash recur.